You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Man, I'm so glad to be with you tonight at the Five. How exciting. We got a concert after this service as well out at the lawn, which is going to be so fun and so excited about that as well. If you got your Bible, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is where we're going to be. And we're talking about renew. And we're in the midway point of a two-year initiative called Kainos, which is a resource initiative that we are able to make a big difference of making a lot of generosity happen and God just using us in a great way, which is great. So we are journeying through the book of Romans and we are here at this midway point in Kainos and it's a real exciting time to be on what we've been calling Team Grace. That's where we are in this section of Romans, Team Grace. Now it's awesome to be on Team Astro. Can I get an amen for that? Oh yeah, that's so good. And I just praise the Lord that there wasn't a game tonight because there'd be like four of you here, okay? So, but we are on Team Astro, which is great, but Team Grace is even better to be on Team Grace. And we're gonna look into Romans chapter six and we're gonna see how this grace propels us to live out the Christian life. Now, I want you to take your Kainos booklet as well. Turn to page 24. That's where you're going to take a bunch of notes on some of the things that I'm going to share with you here. And we're going to look at this in Romans chapter 6. Now, let me give you just an FYI on where we are in the book of Romans. We've been journeying for the last few months, but here's Romans in a snapshot. Romans chapter 1 through 3 is about condemnation. Now, I know that's not a real fun word, but it's basically saying everybody sins. You sin, I sin. Jewish folks sin, Paul establishes. People that are not Jewish, they sin. Everybody sins. So that's Romans chapter one through three. It's condemnation. Then chapters four and five is justification. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Condemnation one through three, justification four and five. Justification is that we can take our sin and we can receive Jesus Christ as our savior and it can be just if I'd never sinned that we can trust him and he can wash us clean and we can be a Christian, we can be holy and blameless, he can forgive us of all our sins. That's chapter four and five. Then chapters six through eight, where we are right now, is sanctification, condemnation, justification, sanctification. Sanctification is where we're growing in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, sanctification is Christian growth. Listen to this definition of sanctification. From Easton Bible Dictionary, it says this, sanctification involves more than mere moral reformation of character. It is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing the whole nature more and more under the influences of the new gracious, team grace, gracious principles implanted in the soul in regeneration. Now, when we think of sanctification, It's basically Christian growth. So here's the first point I want to give you, and then we're going to jump into Romans 6. Here's the first point. We are to make righteous choices backed by God's eternal power. We are to make righteous choices backed by God's eternal power. So sanctification, growing in our relationship with Christ, that's what we're hoping to do right now, even by coming to church, is that we would make righteous decisions. How can we be better decision makers to choose righteousness over sin? And that's backed up by our willpower, not our own personal strength, but by God's eternal power. That when we trust Jesus as our Savior, His Holy Spirit lives inside of us and gives us the strength to live out the Christian walk. Now listen to Romans chapter 6, 
verse 11 through 14. Here we go. Romans 6, verse 11 through 14. Here's what it says. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. And do not offer any parts of your body as to sin as weapons or instruments for unrighteousness. But to those who are alive from the dead, that's believers in Christ, offer yourselves to God, all parts of yourselves to God as weapons for righteousness. For sin will not rule over you. That's a good word for some of us. Sin will not rule over you because you are not under law, but under grace. So he's saying, don't let sin rule over you. Don't let sin be the choice you make. Don't use your body. Don't use your mind. Don't use your actions to be tools for unrighteousness. Instead, let your body, your mind, your heart, your actions, your, your physical body be a tool in God's hand for good, for righteousness, for the right thing. Now, here's what happens many times is that we think that God's word is just filled with a bunch of do's and don'ts. God's word's always like this and that. You got to do this and stop doing that and bam, 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 bam. This is the first command we get in the entire book of Romans. We've had six chapters of Paul establishing the love that God has for us, that even though we're sinners, he loves us. And then the first verse of scripture that we get that's a command is verse 12, where it says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body and don't obey its desires. That's the first command of the book of Romans. Now, he's going to give us some thought process on this. I say, now, the way that you're going to do this is you're going to have to be anchored in Christ. You have to give yourself over to Jesus. Don't let it rain. Instead, you choose the right things. Now, let me give you just kind of a word picture here. I want you to think about this as a worldview tree. What are, what's our worldview? How do we think about the world? Well, the first thing on a tree, and I want you to notice here, is that we've got oranges for astros right here is what we've got. I've chosen my fruit very nicely on this weekend here for astros, which is great and which is good stuff. So you got the first thing, you know a tree. The first thing is you got roots, right? That's what's going to be down in the soil and we're going to have those roots. Then we've got over here, we've got a trunk. Trunk is very important for the tree. And then we've got fruit that's here. So what Paul's going to do in Romans chapter 6 is he's going to say, I want your roots to be in righteousness, not in sin. Now, what does it mean for our roots to be really rooted in God? Well, let me give you a few words. To be, it's two choices, basically, I'm going to give you. If your roots are down in God, it's going to be eternal truth, right? Absolute truth. God's got a Bible. He's got absolute truth. It's going to be the God of creation, and it's going to be God himself. So it's going to be God, creation, and absolute truth. If you've got your roots down in man and what we think and what we want to do, it's going to be rooted in man, not God. It's going to be rooted in evolution, not cre creation. And it's going to be rooted in man's preference or personal truth, I should say, instead of absolute truth. So what's true for you might not be true for me. What's true for me might not be true for you. It's just kind of, let's just make up our own story as we go. So if you got those roots and you come here with the God-sized roots, then you're going to have you're going to have surrender. You're going to live for God's glory. If you have the man side of it, you're going to live for man's preference. You're going to live for man's pride. You're going to live for man's pleasure. And then ultimately, you're going to yield man's fruit. It's going to be fun maybe, but it's not going to be eternal fruit. 
But if you live for the Lord, you're gonna live for eternal fruit. Your life's gonna make an eternal difference. Now, let me put up on the screen all of that together. You might not have time to write it all down. On page 24, you can take a picture of it, but that's basically what I just told you. The roots are man-centered, evolution or personal truth, or the roots of your life are gonna be God-centered, absolute truth. God's got a will and a way. There's creation. There's gonna be the trunk up there at the top that's gonna be God's glory and for our surrender. And so we're gonna surrender to him or man's pride, pleasure and preference. The fruit's gonna be eternal life, living for God, lasting fruit or living an earthly life for man and just kind of fading fun. So what's it gonna be? That's what Paul's trying to establish in those verses of scripture. You're either gonna live for righteousness or you're gonna live for unrighteousness. You're gonna live for God, or you're gonna live for man. He says, look, don't do it. I don't want you to offer your body up for sin. I don't want you to offer your body up for man's preference. I don't want you to offer your body up for unrighteousness. I want you to live for me. I created you, I got a plan for you. I'm gonna take care of you. You live for me and you walk with me. Now, when that happens, it's because God wants us to have the best life we could possibly have. He wants to bless us. Why should we choose righteousness? Why should we choose righteousness? I mean, sin's so much easier. It seems to be more fun at times. People will approve us more. They'll kind of go, yeah, don't, don't get all into that church stuff. Why should we uh, choose righteousness instead of unrighteousness? Well, here's what it says in verse 15. Look at verse 15. What then should we say? Should we sin because we're under the law, but uh, not under the law, but under grace? Absolutely not. So he's saying, don't let your sin increase just because God is gracious. Do you not know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one that you obey, either to sin, this is interesting, play on words, sin leading to death, or of obedience, that's sanctification, leading to righteousness. Now, doesn't it seem like he should have said sin leading to death or obedience leading to life? Wouldn't that have been the right play on words? But instead he says sin leading to death and righteous, excuse me, and obedience leading to righteousness. Death and righteousness are the antonyms. Why? Because righteousness is where life is found. So it's a synonym for life. That's where you find true life. So walk in obedience for righteousness and true life is where that is found. That's an amazing thing. Now look as we go on further in verse 17. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, past tense, you obeyed from the heart the pattern of teaching to which you were handed over. And having been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. Now verse 19, listen, I'm using a human analogy because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you offered the parts of yourselves as slaves to impurity and to greater and greater lawlessness, underline that in your Bible, so now offer them as slaves to righteousness, which results in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free with regard to righteousness. So what fruit, verse 21, was produced from the things that are now things you're ashamed of, and the outcome of those things is death. He's gonna give us three things. I'm gonna give it to us as well. Three things of why we choose righteousness instead of sin. Number one, because sin grows greater and greater. Sin grows greater and greater. Did you see what I had you underline in verse, uh, the end of verse 19? 
into greater and greater lawlessness. Sin grows greater and greater. Sin is not satisfied with just a little bit of your life. It wants all of it. None of us get into the shallow end of the pool expecting to go to the deep end. Nobody says, hey, you know what? I'm going to be uh, disobedient to the law because I think jail would be a cool place to go. Nobody thinks that. It just ends up going that direction. Nobody clicks around on the internet and says, you know what? I think addiction to pornography, I think that's going to be a real blessing to me. It just gets greater and greater and greater and greater. Here's the quote I want you to hear from Steve Farrar. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. That's why it says in that verse 19, greater and greater lawlessness. So be careful, not just about participation with sin, but investigation of sin or temptation of sin. We've all done this before. We don't really want to jump in the deep end of the pool. We just want to see how cold the water is. We just want to get to the water's edge. We don't want to do everything everybody's doing at the party. We just want to kind of be at the party to just see what's happening. We don't want to click on really bad stuff. We just want, well, I wonder what that story's about. And you know good and well what that story's about. You don't need to be clicking on it. And so we just want to get to the edge. And I'm telling you, be careful because sin grows greater and greater and greater. Nobody plans on getting on a divorce. They just end up fighting a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more. Nobody plans on being bitter. You just get a little bit more bitter, a little bit more selfish, further and further. Sin grows. And Paul says it's greater and greater lawlessness. So choose righteousness, not sin. Sin is dangerous. Number two, sin produces death and shame. Sin produces death and shame. Verse 21 and verse 22. So what fruit, verse 21, then was, what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. What fruit was produced from the things that now bring you shame? The outcome is only death. I look back at my life, you may look back at your life, and I can see some times of sin that were fun, but I can't see times of sin that were fruitful. And if we're going to walk with God and have our roots down in righteousness, that righteousness is going to bring sanctification, which is surrender and walking in the Lordship of Christ, so that then there's fruit in our life, so that the fruit in our life begins to show forth in its eternal fruit. Sin may be fun. Sin may make you famous, sin may make you a fortune, but it will never bear godly fruit. It will bear the wrong fruit, rotten fruit is what it'll bear. And you and I want our lives to be lives that bear fruit. Isn't that what you want? Your life to be important and to make a difference in other folks' lives. Just the other day, I was sitting at home. I had a certain chair that I always sit in for my quiet time, and I had my uh, devotional guide out, and I was reading there, and I started thinking about kind of these concepts, and I thought, you know what? One day, I'm going to be dead and gone. One day, this house is going to either be sold and lived in by somebody else, or somebody's going to knock it down and build a better house. We love our house. Our house is a great house. We lived in it 18 and a half years. We were pretty committed to our house. We like it. It's, it's a good place. But at some point, this is all gone. And then I thought, but the things I've done for Jesus Christ will last forever. 
things I've done for Jesus Christ, hopefully my kids, my kids, kids, kids one day when all those happen, I hope, hope I get to see them. That that's done for Jesus lasts forever. So is a house bad in of itself? Not at all. It's a house. You got to have one. You got to live somewhere, right? An apartment, a house, wherever you live. That's not the deal. The deal is there's fleeting. And here in this verse of scripture, it says a life of sin, it may produce fun. It may produce fame. It may produce fortune, but it's not producing fruit that lasts forever. That only happens when you abide in Jesus Christ, John chapter 15, and your roots go down and your trunk is full and then the fruit comes out in your life. That's the fruit that lasts forever. And you and I can produce fruit for Jesus Christ that lasts forever. And that's what kainos is about. This two-year thing of new, it's the Greek word for new. It's not about we just wanna do this stuff and do that. We wanna produce fruit to declare the gospel that will last forever. What an amazing thing that is. And we get to, as a church, produce amazing fruit. That's so exciting. That's incredible. Our roots are deep. Since 1841, our church has been around. Since the church, when Jesus you know, resurrected, even back to that, here we have the roots that were in Christ. We're growing in Christ. And the fruit, we wanna see God do great things in our church. If you will, I want you to turn in your Kainos book. I want you to turn to page 11, if you'll turn there with me. Page 10 and 11 are gonna give you some things that are going on. So you can know everything. We've got this book so you can be very uh, trans, uh, uh, transparent so you can know everything that's going on. So in our community there on that page 11, some things that we're doing and already have done. We finalized the plans for the Sienna campus. We're ready to go. And let me tell you what, the Sienna campus, campus would tell you this, they need that facility yesterday. We've got an amazing facility in Cyprus. We've got an amazing facility in downtown Houston. We own a city block with an amazing building there. Here we are at the Loop. Wow. And God now has got us ready for Siena to be something just coming out of the ground that's going to be incredible to facilitate ministry with a new facility. The lawn at the Loop, we're going to be there in like 30 minutes, we're going to be out there using that and having an amazing concert out there. It's going to be great. What a blessing that's going to be. Already been put to use. We had a watch party for the Astros on Friday there. It didn't help, but we were there, okay? We were still cheering, but it didn't really work out too well. Our hub student ministry at the Loop Campus. We love students, all ages of kids. And so we redid that space up there, a new indoor playground for, for our smallest kids and, and some kids who want to get in there and have fun and just have a great time. We're going to redo the foyer here at the Loop Campus. We're going to extend it. And ladies, I want a big amen from you on this. For the first time in 50 years, we're going to have bathrooms in the lobby. Isn't that going to be awesome? Can I get an amen? Yes, awesome. So good. The number one question our receptionist gets is not, how do I ask Jesus Christ to be my savior? They get, where's the bathroom? And we say, it's a seven iron down the hall is where it is, okay? And so people got to make it down there. So we're going to expand it and do a lot more cool stuff than just bathrooms, but it's going to be awesome to be able to have that. It's going to be a great thing. We're going to secure some great stuff. Uh, we're going to do a, uh, some neat things all over this campus and Siena and other places as well. One of the things that's really cool is we're gonna expand our digital footprint. We've got folks watching right now online, our digital family, and this morning they've watched as well. It's been an awesome thing. Let me give you some just stats on our website just so you can kind of know while we're investing in this. Our website from December to August, so just what, nine months, we had 300,000 visitors to the website. 
over a million page views. Some of them turned into chats. We were able to talk spiritual chats with people to connect them and to help them uh, with their journey. Now, of course, our top country is the United States, but other top countries, Mexico, Germany, the UK, India, and Canada. How amazing is that? Our webcast is going all over the world. Let me ask you a question. How many of y'all in the last two years have watched church online? Raise your hand if you've watched church online. Awesome. How many of y'all five years ago, you were watching church online? Uh, Six people, maybe. Okay. With COVID, it went, bam, this is the real deal now. So our Sunday webcast in those nine months, we have reached 83,000 plus people. How incredible is that? We estimate 2,000 plus a week are watching online, which is great. Top countries, Canada, United Kingdom, Mexico, Nigeria, and India. Can we just give just a shout out and a cheer for our online presence, how cool that is? Let me tell you a story of of a young man during COVID. He connected with our church from France because they were in lockdown in France. And so he began to connect with our church. Now he watches every single week, watches from France, and twice a month is one of our chat hosts from France. He's helping run the chat at Houston's First. And here's what he said. Specifically, he shared that being a part of Houston's First Online encourages him he's not alone and there's believers around the world. Isn't that incredible? It's hard to walk with Jesus in France, really all over Europe. So we've got a connection in France. Let me show you a map. This just shows you some pinpoints. We got America covered. I think we're doing a good job there. But look at it all over the world where people are connecting from. How amazing is that? What a blessing. So we want to invest more money in that to be able to help buy the servers, to hold the videos, to do all these technical things that I'm not really sure how to do. And maybe you're not either. I don't know. But to get the word out, we are missionaries to the world through the web. How cool is that? Sin produces death and shame, but righteousness, here's my point, produces lasting fruit. And we get to be a part of being in lasting fruit, producing lasting fruit with our church. The third and final thing that sin does that Paul warns us about is sin enslaves us. Sin is enslaving. Did you hear what he said? You were slaves to sin in verse 16, he begins that discussion and he goes all the way through to verse 22 even. But now since you've been set free from sin, you have become enslaved to God and you have your fruit, what we've been talking about, which results in sanctification. The outcome is eternal life. So Paul says you're going to either be a slave to sin or a slave to righteousness. Now, let me quickly jump in and say, Paul, our church, me personally, or you, none of us are trying to promote slavery or think that's the right thing, okay? Absolutely not. We look back at the 1800s in our country, it's a stain upon our country, and we just, that's not right. That is sin. But Paul is doing something here in verse 19. He says, I'm using a human analogy. Now, why does he use that analogy to teach the Romans about faith in Christ? Here's why. One commentator put it like this. He said this, he said that, let me get to it, there are no accurate statistics concerning the number of slaves in the Roman Empire, though it has been asserted that less than half of the population was actually free. So the majority 
of Rome was actually slaves. Now think about that. Now it's not racially based slavery. This was Rome going out and when they would conquer people, they would take the conquered people and they would bring them back to Rome and they would make them slaves. The Roman Empire, in case you didn't know, tremendously powerful and doing a lot of conquering. So they kept bringing people back as slaves. So Paul says, I want to connect in a relevant way as clearly as I can with these people in Rome. I want you to understand the freedom in Christ by comparing it to slavery to sin. Do you see why that would be a, a usable illustration for him? If over half the population was slave, the other less than half, then they're the folks that are promoting slavery. So don't hear Paul promoting it. Don't hear me promoting it for sure. Don't hear our church promoting it. We are actually against slavery so much that modern day slavery still exists with human trafficking and sex trafficking. And unfortunately, Houston is a hub of it. And we're giving money and time and effort to ministries to combat that. So we're absolutely opposed to it. So Paul says, I want you to understand that if you are going for sin, it's going to enslave you. It's going to grab your heart. But if you'll come over here to righteousness, you'll find not a taskmaster, you'll find a loving father. His load is easy and his burden is light. He loves you and he cares for you. Now listen to a couple quotes. I'm going to put it on the bad side and then I'm going to put it on the good side of righteousness. Aristotle said this, a slave is a living tool. Now, human to human, that's heinous, that's terrible, that's sin. You take it over here and you say, Lord, I want to be a living tool to you. I want to be a servant of yours. I want you to use me. God can use me? Wow! Another person put it like this, a slave is one wholly swallowed in the will of another. Sin, terrible, bad, wrong. A servant of God is one's wholly swallowed in the will of God. Righteousness, awesome. I want to be wholly swallowed in the will of God that my life furthers his will because I want my life to bear eternal fruit. My roots in a loving, kind father. My trunk in a surrendered position to him so that I could bear eternal fruit for Jesus Christ that lasts forever. You see it? Paul's saying, this is terrible. Don't be enslaved to sin. This is wonderful. Now, the last time we've seen the word slave, it's a Greek word, doulos, which also can mean servant. The last time we've seen that in the book of Romans, we see it here in chapter six. The first time and last time we saw it was Romans chapter one, verse one. Where was that found? Paul says, I, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. I, Paul, a slave of Christ Jesus. It's a positive and a place of pride where he says, I am serving my Father in heaven and I love him and he loves me and he's gonna use me, forgive me, do all this work in me. Do you see? I want, I want you to see the picture, what he's painting. Don't be enslaved to sin. Be enslaved to righteousness because true freedom is found in righteous living for God. True freedom is found in righteous living for God. That's verse 22. But since you have now been set free from sin and you have been enslaved to God, you have your fruit which results in sanctification and the outcome is eternal 
life. Wow, how incredible is that? We are free in Christ. Think of all the songs we sing in Christianity about chains being broken and chains falling and freedom in Jesus Christ, and being forgiven and running free and all of these amazing things. How incredible is that to think about? We are free in Jesus Christ. Students, you don't have to worry what everybody else thinks about you. You are free in Jesus Christ. You don't have to live a life of sin. You're free in Jesus Christ. I remember when I was a student, unfortunately did some bad stuff. And I remember friends talking about, oh man, so-and-so was so wasted the other night. Oh, we got wasted. Perfect word. You're absolutely right. You wasted that entire night. You wasted that entire evening. You wasted that entire week. You wasted that time. Instead of living for fruit that lasts, you live for just man's pleasure. And let me tell you this, hear me with a broken heart. Don't waste a decade on sin. You turn from sin and you move to righteousness. You say, I don't want to waste my life. I want to live my life for fruit. And true freedom is found in the fruit of Jesus Christ. The joy, as we saw in the, the video that kicked us off, of a new giver. What a blessing, a new giver. How amazing is that? We're free to give. We're free to give. We're free to serve. We're free to love. Look at page 17, if you would, in your book. I want you to look at page 17. We've tried to be as transparent as absolutely possible. These are the numbers. This is why our goal is increased. We've also got new opportunities. You can see there on the left, some, some things that we think, man, let's go for it on that. We have these opportunities. Let's make this happen. We've got our original goal there. And then the bottom part, but God knew and we announced a goal that, that the church pledged almost $104 million. Absolutely incredible. Two years of our budget, also some things that we want to do. And then now our new goal is $110 million. Why is that? Are we just trying to just milk it and just try to get it up more and more and more? No. Have you ever heard of this thing called inflation? Have you heard that word? The consumer price index went up 8.3%. Our budget went up 7.5%. We beat inflation by 0.8%. That's good. We worked really hard to try to do that even. So inflation has gone up. Construction costs are up year over year 20%. So the things that God has laid on our heart, it's going to cost more to do. So the budget's gone up for what we're going to do. And we have some incredible new opportunities that God's given us that we want to capture. So how are we going to do that? We're going to do that by three groups of people that have the freedom in their heart to say, I'm not enslaved to my money. I'm not enslaved to sin. I'm enslaved to the Lord. I can walk with him in freedom in Christ. He loves me. He's not a hard taskmaster. He's a loving father. And those three groups are this. There's some of you that kainos is a brand new word to you. And so we want you to jump in. You've never been a part of giving through the church to make a difference of eternal fruit. And so we want to encourage you that you would give. November 20th, we're going to all give together. That you jump in at whatever level, brand new, and say, I'm in. There's a second group that God's blessed you this year and things have gone well for you. And you're going to be able to jump in and say, you know what? We could up our goal a little bit. We could do a little bit more. It's not really the struggle that we thought it would be. God's already done this in us. He's blessed us with a little bit more. So we're going to up it and take another step. And then the third group is some, and this is a great group that are going to say, ah, we're sticking with our goal. This is the number God laid on our heart and we're going to, in faith, we're going to make that number happen. So we've got that. You got a little commitment card in your book and it charts it out for you what each one of these groups is, but to be able to say, let's go for it and let's bear even more fruit. Look, if you will, on page 19, just turn one page. 
We've used this before, this little step-up ladder. We call it the generosity ladder, generosity staircase here. Where are you on this ladder? Are you going to be an initial giver? Have you ever really given? Have you jumped in? Intentional giver to really make it a planned and prioritized in your life, a surrendered giver, a lifetime giver? Where are you on that? Let's jump in and let's go for it. One other thing I want to say in this this aspect of being free is I want to recommend a book for you, and then we're going to wrap up in just a second. This is a book I've recommended before, and I want to recommend it again. We've got it in corner books for you tonight. It's not a book on giving, okay? I'm not like, hey, we got this campaign. Here's this book on giving. Go read it. Widow and Two Mites type stuff. It's not that. This is talking about your money personality. Each one of us have kind of a personality of how we think about money. This book was so good for me to read. I enjoyed it so much. And if you buy the book just for page 231, it's got a graph on it. And what he does is he takes biblical characters and he, he takes them. It's not page 231, uh, page 213. Sorry, mixed it up. Page 213, and he takes Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Aaron, and David. And he says, which one are you like? So here's what I am when you read the book. I'm an Isaac and I'm a David. So you can read the book and figure out what those qualities are. I'm an Isaac and I'm a David. This was so helpful because my wife is not an Isaac or a David, okay? She's something else. And so we got to work together on that and appreciate one another on that, which is great. So I want you to grab this. It's great, especially you young singles. Understand who you are because it will affect what you do. So thinking about our giving, thinking about our fruit, that we have new fruit that we can have. Last thing I'm going to tell you, we're going to wrap up. You ready? Verse 23 of chapter 6. Famous verse, okay? Here's what it is. And I bet some of you got it memorized. You've heard this verse so much, you know this verse. So let's all say it together. We got it on the screens for us. Here we go. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. One more time. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And most of y'all, many of y'all, you've heard that verse a bunch of times. That's a famous verse. It explains heaven and earth. Now, here's what it does. It gives us a trade. As we wrap this thing up, it gives us a trade because we got to trade where our roots, what kind of soil are our roots going to be in? They're going to be in God. They're going to be in man. There's a trade. Our trunks are going to be God or man. Our fruits going to be God or man. What's it going to be? So here's the trade that it gives us. Look at these trades. These are great trades. In justification, it's going to give us a couple trades. We're going to trade wages for a gift. The wages of sin what you earn with sin, the gift that God gives you. We're going to trade sin for God, the wages of sin or the free gift of God. The wages of sin are death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So it brings the whole thing together for us, this trade of justification. When you want to, to become a Christian, you trade your sin and you get the gift of God. What you've earned in your sin, you get a gift of God, of grace. You're on team grace. Sin, you trade it and you get God in a relationship with Jesus. Death, you get eternal life. And how do we walk in sanctification, really walk out our life? Jesus Christ, our Lord. Last night, I was making trades back and forth. I was watching TV. I was trading back and forth. I turn on the Astros and I go, yeah! And then I switch stations to the Aggies. I go, oh. And then I turn on back on the Astros and go, oh, wonderful, the Oasis. Oh, it's so beautiful. And then I turn on the Aggies, desert. 
sand walking through. Then I turn back on the Astros and I'd make a trade. And I'd say, this is incredible, it's heaven. And then I'd come back over to the Astros. I'd be like, oh, purgatory, here I am coming through. Tough trials, joy, trials, the trades. You get to trade, I get to trade unrighteousness for righteousness. Let me give you a last trade and we're done. You ever heard the name Cy Young? Let me show you his picture. Cy Young was a famous, famous pitcher. Way back when, when they wear wool uniforms and small caps, right? And so Cy Young was a famous pitcher. There's an award now called the Cy Young Award, the best pitcher in the National League, the best pitcher in the American League for the year. They get this award. Justin Verlander's won it twice. Hopefully he's going to win it a third time this year. So our guy is right there along with it. It's the Cy Young Award. It's named after this guy that was such a great pitcher. Now, Cy Young, this pitcher, was traded his rookie season. Can you imagine trading Cy Young? You traded Cy, you did what? You traded Cy Young? He was traded because he went 15 and 15, 15 wins, 15 losses, his rookie season, and they traded Cy Young, get this, for $300 and a suit. They said to the general manager, we'll give you $300 and a suit if you give us Cy Young. And that general manager said, ooh, look at those lapels. Look at those cuffs. Ooh, those buttons he put on that suit. Man, ooh, I like this suit. Looks good. You can have Cy Young. I'll take the suit. Let me tell you, that suit is moth-eaten if it even still exists. And we're still talking about the legacy of Cy Young. You and I need to walk with Jesus to live a fruitful legacy, not a moth-eaten suit. And I'm telling you, I've worn enough suits in my life and traded them and had the sin suit on me and it's moth-eaten and it's terrible. I want to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ to have my life count for all of eternity. Joshua put it like this, and I say it on behalf of my own life. As for me and my house... We'll serve the Lord. We don't want a suit. We want a legacy of fruit. Jesus, we come in your powerful name. We love you. We thank you, God, for the kainos heart you've given us. Such a blessing. Such a blessing. We get to trade sin for righteousness. We get to trade death for life, darkness for light, lies for truth, ourself for our Savior. What a deal. So may we throw off our moth-eaten suits of sin and walk in the righteousness of Christ. Our roots deep in you, our trunk sure in you, and our fruit giving declaration of you. Thank you, God. If you don't know Jesus is your Savior, all you got to do it's from your heart and your soul. Pray and say, Jesus, I want you to forgive my sins and save my soul. If you do, are you walking in barren fruit? Are you abiding in Christ? Let's walk with his righteousness. What did you hear tonight? What did God speak to you? We love you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. What a trade for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God 
is eternal life in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.